Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? I'm busy cutting my timepiece speed in half so we can talk about all of the things and still technically be inside our magical imperial hour. That's right. Here at Missed Apex Podcast, we never break an hour, but we do always have time for hot takes. And my hot take for this race, Matt, is that F1 is brilliant. And you know, when you build up to something for so long, it can't, it can't possibly match your expectations. Before the race started, I was so excited. No way could it live up to anything I wanted from F1, uh, but it absolutely delivered. F1 is blinking brilliant, isn't it? It absolutely is. And what was lovely is all along the way, all the signs pointed to exactly the outcome we saw today. We, it looked like it was going to be close. Nobody knew what was really going to happen. It could swing either way. And yet all along we heard, oh, tricks up sleeves, this, that, the other. But man, when it was on track and it mattered, ah, what a race. And let's make no mistake here, Matt, as we talk about the way the race unfolded, we have witnessed, I think, one of the best ever races in the history of Formula One with two of the greatest talents that motorsport and particularly Formula One has ever seen. Yeah, I absolutely agree. They had the tools, they had the equipment, and given the opportunity, they made the end of the race as exciting a thing as you'll ever possibly see. But it's not just me and Matt on the panel. I'm going to introduce some expert panelists to help us unpick what happened in the race. A quick shout out. I think my headline, though, would be for this race, a lot of people wanted to see Lewis Hamilton in perhaps not the best car tested against a great driver and a great car. I think you have your wish. 
But I just want to first remind you that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed. With the kind permission of our better halves, we aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Now, here at Missed Apex Podcast, we have a large rotating panel. So it is often me and Matt, but we're always joined by some of our friends. And the fact that it rotates means that if someone has a job or a baby or just gets bored, the show doesn't get overly impacted. Plus, you have a large variety of voices. But more importantly, the spouses and partners of our panel don't get upset at me for taking up too much time every single day. Sunday. So the first person we are joined by is a, a BTCC driver from last season, Nord Schleifer VLN, two times class champion, a sim racing expert, F1 pundit here on Miss Apex podcast, and a race of champions, Sebastian Vettel beater. It's Bradley Philpot. Hello, Brad. Hi, Spanners. That was the best intro you've given me. Yes, and not can bad. I just say. I'm really pleased that I booked this particular episode to appear on. What a race. Yeah, it's funny. We we divvy up at the beginning of the month and we say, right, who wants to do what show? And you couldn't have picked a better one. And just like from a, like you're a professional racing driver and a professional driver, from a racing point of view, we've got so much actual wheel to wheel and strategy action to dissect. I agree. Yeah, there's there's loads to go into and I can't wait to do it. So let's do it. And we're also joined by our race analyst, top carter, excellent sim racer, all-round good dude. It's Alex Jeansy Van Jean. How's it going, Alex? It's going well. I mean, I'm I'm the problem with having a podcast this close to the end of the race is I'm still just buzzing off of adrenaline right now. Um, so I might be slightly more animated. You might have to run the fader on me a little bit more than usual. A little bit. So what we do here at Missed Apex is we try and get the race review out for a Monday morning commute, which means that we record it at 8 p.m. UK time on the night of the race. So sometimes with these late races, we miss a little bit of the analysis that some of the lazier podcasts pick up during the week but we do like getting that content out to you and we do try to have some midweek shows as well and of course next sunday it's not a race so we'll pick up a lot of the technical stuff that we don't pick up on this race but i think the first thing i'd like to say as we talk about our general impressions of the season and the track is f1 isn't broken f1 is brilliant and i i I really, I don't want us to fix it anymore, Alex, because there's so much talk about sprint formats changing the weekend. You couldn't ask any more of an F1 weekend than what we got now. Like, this is this is fine. Let's just stick with this for a bit. Yeah, it's a shame they're going to change the rules next year, really. It's, it's the whole thing of, they don't seem to learn, which is you have rules for a particular length of time and they get better and better and you slowly adjust them just to bring the field close together. And then you get excellent racing like we saw today. And then they go and going to go and blow it all up next year and we have no idea what it's going to be i mean that's fair but brad also from a racing point of view bahrain didn't have the best reputation for whatever reason with f1 fans but we always get good racing particularly in like in sector one you know through turns two three and then and then all the way up to four yeah as we saw today and i actually think as we've seen in the last couple of races here we have a layout which just lends itself to good racing with the current generation of cars. The straight's long enough, the DRS zones tend to work, and there's switchbacks that just yes. really, really lend themselves to, to exciting racing. Yeah, and it's worth remembering that a lot of the complaints in the past were due to the fact that cars had trouble following at close distance, not just because of the quote-unquote dirty air that always exists behind any race car, 
but in particular because the tires were designed a certain way and they made it tough for multi-lap battles. That has been changed. And I, I have to say hats off to Pirelli because we saw those tires used very hard and not really giving up the ghost in the way that they would have in the past. So Max Verstappen complained that it was difficult to follow, uh, yet throughout the field, that's not what we saw. We didn't see particularly like trains of low downforce cars holding people up, which I thought we might get with the McLaren. But Verstappen might want to look at Vettel, Alonso uh, and Sainz, who were like properly scrapping, going three and four wide as well with the Aston Martins involved. Like we had really close racing in the midfield. Obviously, the front of the pack is going to take a little bit of the, the glory today because it was so spectacular up front. And um, I, don't, I don't know about you guys, but I actually found it a little bit hard to follow with the strategy. Fortunately, Matt is going to take us through the, the pit stop strategy and what the guys were, were trying to achieve so we can see where the race was won and lost. But what do you think, Alex? Do we, do we actually want what we saw today, which is like two, three stops? We complained about lots of one stops last season. That wish was certainly answered today. Yeah, because we still want to see how a race pans out in the end. Because if you've just got a one-stop, there's nothing you can do to change that. Um, if you've got an extra stop, you can do an early stop or a late stop and make a difference to your race and come at someone early like Lewis did or try and come back late like Max did. If it's a one-stop strategy, you don't get that. Yeah, but the the risk, I suppose, Brad, is that you get a sort of almost random element. Like I'd, I'd hated refueling because you didn't know what was happening here, you you can follow what's happening, but there's a, a little bit of a but. I wonder what people who just found F1 for the first time would think of this, where the order on track wasn't representative and you didn't quite know where everyone was. So I think we could maybe follow it, but is that what we want? I know what you're saying. I think, for me personally today, I didn't think it was too complicated. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of things in Formula One that are going to be quite um, disorientating and strange for a new fan. So I don't think we should major upon that too okay. much. I think as, as a general strategy, two stops where there's a potential for an undercut or maybe an overcut in different scenarios um, are, are kind of what we want. I think that's about right. And it led to decent variation today that kept yeah. us guessing. We didn't quite know what was going to happen until it did. I'll tell you what, Matt, top tip for everyone. A, F, the uh, F1 TV live timing app is almost essential. Um, not only to watch the lap times, but also just to have a clear chart in front of you for who has pitted, who's on what tyre, uh, it, and it's really clear. So there is a subscription, I think, to go with that, but the live timing for F1, what they provide is future stuff. I could never have dreamed of that when I was a kid. But also, here's the really important tip, Matt. Have a 10-year-old with you to manage all that for you. That's what I found most useful. Or just do it yourself. Um, and, and it gives you invaluable information. Like in the end battle, I was watching the sector times and you could see Verstappen. Like at one point he gained six tenths through the second sector. But after he gave the place back and spun up his tires, you could see that he was barely gaining, gaining a tenth. So you get this extra bits of information about the seesaw battle that you can't even see on television and the commentators often won't mention. Brad, 
So I actually think you can gain some of that without the live timing app because I'm I'm not using one purely because I don't have a tablet and I don't I just don't have the app. But the timing um, little tower at the side of the screen yeah. just on the normal TV coverage because it's updating pretty much in real time. You know, every second or so it's updating. If you know where the cars are on track, you can also get a bit of a feel for where the cars are gaining and losing at different sectors. And I was certainly noticing that kind of thing you just mentioned there about uh, which, which sectors Max was strong in versus Lewis, um, just by looking at that tower on the left. But I, I agree with you. If you can get it in more detail, even better. I don't want to um, upset the Australians there, Matt, but we've got a live chat room. You can join us live as we record at 8 p.m. UK time and you can search for Missed Apex podcast on YouTube and you can actually chat with our faces and everything and and be part of the conversation. Uh, A bit of a conversation about whether this is a good opening track. I mean, it really is. And I think I would love the Australian Grand Prix if it was race seven or, you know, mid-season. As an opener, it's always been generally unrepresentative of what's going to happen in the season. Whereas now I feel like we are, we're deep into the season and we've already had open warfare as far as racing is concerned. And we don't always get that on the Australian Grand Prix. So as much as I'm sad that's postponed and I hope we have it, this was a great opener. It was, and you may be getting your wish because they're talking about a time swap with MotoGP being permanent for season opener in Melbourne. All right. Before we get into how the race was won and lost, I think there's a couple of things that we need to sort of set the scene with in in qualifying. So rather than do a, a qualifying review, I think it, it's worth noting that that is the first time we've had a lot of questions answered. Obviously, there's a lot of speculation pre-season and in testing and during FP1, 2, 3 about where all the cars are. And we're going to have a specific section later uh, that is called like uh, questions we had before the season answered now. It's not a very snappy title, but we're going to do that segment. But specifically in qualifying, we got some answers as to who was sandbagging, who was hiding stuff in testing. And I think I was surprised, not that Red Bull came out and got a pole. They're perfectly capable of pulling the odd pole out. Um, But the fact that it was like nearly half a second, I went, ooh. Yeah, and, and everybody went, ooh, until you saw how the Mercedes drove in the race. And then you thought, well... Maybe Mercedes knew their odds of taking pole position weren't the best. So perhaps they would be looking a little more towards the race in terms of how they set up their car and they were just going to seed that. So I'm not convinced that Red Bull is that, that much faster than Mercedes, but in qualifying, they clearly were. But my favorite question that you referenced there, uh, which I like to call sandbags at dawn, is how much we saw everybody speculating on who had the biggest sandbags on in the free practices. Mm -hmm. And I, being me, wrote down some times from last year and this year. And I just looked at the improvement from free practice to either driver fastest time to qualifying, either driver fastest time, any any of the three sessions, because not every driver made it to every session. And it turns out there were three teams that had a really big improvement. Okay. Bigger than last year's. Ferrari, probably not a surprise. It was a, they had a 1% improvement roughly last year and they had a 1.6% improvement this year. AlphaTauri, also not a surprise, 1.2 to 1.6%. And finally, everybody's favorite, Red Bull went from 1.8 to 2%. Mercedes, the odds on favorite to have the biggest sandbags, actually had slightly less of an improvement from FP2 to qualifying. 
than they did the previous season. So that's interesting because Mercedes are always accused of sandbagging and that's never the the real impression I got. You know, maybe they don't run the power modes, maybe they run a little extra fuel. That's different from like actively hiding, you know, what they're doing. It's just that they don't put any value on being top of the testing tree or on top of FP1, FP2, FP3. But the Red Bull pace was genuine and they, they came out and they qualified on pole. They have like amazing machinery under their belt. So there's no denying that. That Red Bull car is good. They have a good driver. They have all the ingredients to take the fight to Mercedes. The hype is real. There's there's a real fight on. Uh, Alex? I think think Merck had the same issue this year that Red Bull maybe had last year, which is there is a fast car in there, but it's difficult to drive. And the decent drivers will get the best out of it. So I will yield to Brad's opinion on this, but from my viewpoint, I think it's clear that Red Bull has the best chassis right now. They have the advantage on the chassis side. And so the question is all down to how much progress has Honda really made versus the Mercedes power unit. I think we'll have like a full text strip down of what we think about that next week. I really, I want to make sure we focus on the racing action that we had because it was absolutely amazing. Uh, So. I think uh, it's time to move on to where the race was won and lost. Okay, I think here's the key question, Matt. It was really close in the race. There was uh, a lot to tease out. If you wanted to say what was the best car today, you would have to do a lot of analysis. I don't think anyone has got that answer fully. It was really close. So here's the question. Mercedes have dominated the last couple of years. Why was it so close? All right. So I'm going to disagree. I think Red Bull had the better car today. I think it was obvious they had the better car today. Mercedes was very close to them. You're right about that. Why was it so close? Yeah. Well, this and why the race was won and lost goes all the way back to the FIA deciding they needed to cut down the amount of aero that the cars had so that Pirelli tires would stop going boom all the time. Didn't stop us from getting new tires, which is a different story. But it turns out, and this I don't know. If anybody knows, you can reach me. Send me an email. Send me an email. Is it matt at mistapex.net? That's the one. And tell me, did the FIA know this aero regulation would help the Red Bull team's more than it helped the Mercedes teams? Or did they just get lucky? Because however it came out, there's not, there's a hair's between, hair's breadth between the two yeah. of them right now. And I couldn't be more excited for the rest of the season because of it. So Mercedes are outwardly making noises that they are convinced that the regulation change was purely to, to attack them. Uh, well, attack low rake teams, which is just them, isn't it, Matt? And I, I think Aston. that was Aston. I don't think I heard Mercedes say anything oh, like that. No, I honestly, I thought I heard Lewis Hamilton make a similar comment and Brad's nodding as well. But my, Lewis my, did, yeah, but not Mercedes, just a minor. Fair enough. Um, my, my point to you would, Brad, my question to you would be, so we, this is the most dominant period of a team and the sport has done the best for itself by attacking an area in which that dominant team benefits the most. Mm-mm. So what? Yeah, whether or not they did it deliberately. And as Matt said, if they did, they've really judged it absolutely perfectly. (laughs) Because after a whole winter of development and everything, they've ended up really close together. Um, But yeah, you can't feel 
too bad for them. Um, and yeah, it was Toto and Lewis both came out and, and said relatively vocally and not in a complaining way. They just were like making the point that yeah. this regulation seems to have been aimed at their philosophy, which then also obviously hurts Aston Martin. Um, and, and yeah, it seems to have worked, but I mean, I think that's fine. I think we're all yeah, fine with that. I think we're all fine with that. Aren't we, Jeansy? I mean, good. I mean, they've still got a thousand employees. They've still got loads of money. Game on. Go for it. Oh, they've still got definitely got the resource to come back and make this what is looking like one of the most tantalising championships they've ever had. But um, just a bit of a comparison to qualifying last year versus qualifying this year. Um, Mercedes were 2.1 seconds slower in qualifying this year than they were last year. And Red Bull were uh, 1.3 slower this year. So there's still sort of seven, eight tenths of a second there that... Mercedes have lost over what Red Bull have lost. So that tells me those regulations have worked perfectly. You say lost. I just say their, their solution wasn't as good as Red Bull's. So the only thing I've heard, and this is not like, you know, I've not heard this from Toto Wolf, is that Mercedes were trying to get a suspension and diffuser change out for race one, and they were unable to implement that fully. And so that will be coming in future races. That's the, the only thing I've heard. If anyone's heard any different do get in touch with me, spanners at mistapex.net. Alex. And also on the on which car is faster, I have from a reliable source close to Red Bull, Red Bull 100% believe they have the fastest car right now. Oh my God. And that makes it so tantalizing and so interesting when you put it in context with the driver battle that we just saw. Uh, my, I still haven't got my breath back, to be honest, but let's start at the beginning. We'll build up to that final battle, Matt. But the strategy was incredible the 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 way it was going to unfold uh, was absolutely just tantalizing i was glued to the screen the whole time the the very first battle we had was obviously off the line they got away pretty much in order we'll we'll discount bottas just for the second he got attacked by uh, leclerc i think lost a, a place to leclerc early on but what we saw in the first stint is what we see with Hamilton and Bottas so often if Bottas is ahead, but this time it's with Max and, and Lewis. We saw Lewis holding station between 1.4 and 2 seconds, and it was just intriguing to go, right, is this Lewis stalking and doing what he does to Bottas, which is sitting there and then using his tyres less and then striking and not using up his tyres on an early attack? Or was that Max going, all right, I don't need to chew up my tyres, but if he gets close, I will make sure I've got at least a two-second gap. I think it was Mercedes going, we have two pieces on the chessboard and Red Bull only has one. Mm. So there's no need for us to be all aggro and stuff. And let's remember that when we talk about a strategy battle and we talk about the pit stops, it's going to start with Perez breaking down and having to make his start from the pit lane. Now, I would posit that had Perez started in 11. Yeah. And you know, this is a stretch for me because I still have some hard feelings from the Force India thing with Ocon. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But I would argue that starting from 11th, he would have been a player in that battle and would have changed Mercedes' options as a result. As it was, he effectively didn't matter in this race, except for he did get to fifth in the end, which helps them out a lot in the championship picture. Uh, but yeah, but the thing is, Brad, Bottas didn't matter either in the end, did he? So, like, although they had the potential to have that extra chess piece, it didn't work out. 
yeah, they, they actually didn't really come into play, did they? And I, I thought that they would at one point, right up until Bottas had that very slow stop and then it, it kind of fizzled out. But I'm very wary of Perez and Bottas being in play from now on. Yes. I think that's a bit of an anomaly. I think yeah. going forward, they're going to definitely feature. I cannot believe both of you are overlooking the fact that for both pit stops, Bottas was very clearly in Verstappen's pit window and Mercedes had the option to run him long and yes. had, in fact, they had not had the bulky second stop. So I'm getting ahead of myself. Without the bulky second stop, if Bottas had really, really pushed on those tires, Max might have had to pass two Mercedes, not one, to win the race, which he didn't win anyway, but that's a different story. Yeah, what you're saying there, though, by being in his pit window, you mean if he'd stayed out and not pitted and just kept going, Max would eventually have maybe caught him up and then had to pass him. But by that point, the tyres would have been so gone. I don't think that was ever a realistic option. What, what I'm talking about is by being in a window, Bottas being close enough that he could do an undercut and that that was a threat for Max. Yeah. And he was just too far away, except when it came to the second stop where the stop went badly anyway. So that's what I mean by when I say that he didn't really feature. Well, this is it, Matt. I mean, you heard the team radio where they said, all right, Valtteri, go hunt him down. And he, and he couldn't. Yeah, I, he couldn't to an extent. But I'm going to argue with Brad a little bit because I want to go back and say the race was won by less than a second. Half a lap of holding up Verstappen, even on worn tires. Well, there's your race win right there. I mean, in fact, you could even argue, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it now because why not? That even backmarkers potentially made the difference. Yeah, from I mean, Verstappen getting by Hamilton. Well, Verstappen was that close to Hamilton for quite a while, so he could have been held up by another half a second or two seconds in it, and still caught Lewis by the end. So. I don't think that's what it came down to personally. Okay, so we're going to get to that end bit where we saw Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton widely regarded as the best two drivers in Formula One right now. Max Verstappen, uh, everyone expects to take over the take over the, the the mantle from Lewis Hamilton, and we saw a direct battle with relatively equal machinery, a little bit of a tire disparity. But what we saw was a straight five lap attack and defend. Plenty of time for both drivers to show their skill. But we we can't get there yet. We can't get there yet, Matt, because I think that whole thing was set up by a change of philosophy in Mercedes. Something different today. When they were up front, when they felt like they were in control, they had a, and I don't mean this in in an insulting way, we've covered this on previous seasons, they had a do-nothing-first approach, like a wait-and-see see how things work out. And we've seen them lose out on, you know, safety cars by waiting and seeing what's going to happen. And their instinct is don't mess with what we've got. Today, you can't argue anything except that they were so proactive. Like Alex, they took the fight to Red Bull. They were behind, arguably with the worst car, and they made all the moves. They made all the calls. Normally, Mercedes have the pace to make any strategy work. Where it's a case of we can wait because we've got the pace, we can turn it up a little bit, and we can we can manage what's going on. Um, they know they didn't have that today, and I can imagine Lewis chomping at the bit, going, "I want the undercut." And the undercut was proved to be strong because we saw um, further down the field. Uh, I can't remember who it was lost out during the pit stops. I think it was one of the McLarens lost. Uh, Danny Ricardo lost out during the pit stops to Fernando Alonso because of the undercut. Um, so I think they saw that and they went for it and it was really good to see them go aggressive. And you can make that kind of strategy call 
unfortunately for Bottas, with Lewis, because Lewis does seem to be have this instinct to whisper to the tyres. And I'm still going to go with having two drivers let Mercedes play that game. It would have potentially been a different story for them if Bottas was back in 10th or 12th or 15th. But we are still getting ahead of ourselves because one of the key things that happened today was that the temperatures on track were easily 10 degrees cooler, which began to move the tire management ball game even more in Mercedes' favor, or to put them at less of a disadvantage, perhaps we should say. So traditionally, to anyone new to F1, what we've tended to see is as the temperatures go up, Mercedes struggle. So in cooler temperatures, Mercedes do very well. When you need additional cooling, they've perhaps overcompromised between cooling and performance. So if the uh, track temperatures drop, that tends to be in their favor. But are you talking about the way they manage the tires as well? Well, it's in all things because the power unit working better means the aero works better because they have more power available because they're less hampered by the cooling. But it also means the tires themselves don't overheat as easily. And maybe we should ask Brad about this because I think he's probably lived this in real life, that in cooler temps, you can make those tires last longer and get more performance out of them before they go. Yeah, absolutely. It's just as you'd expect. You know, you can just lean on them more for longer without having that same uh, drop off and sensation of the steering going light in your hands, uh, you know, and performance dropping away. So definitely if, if temperature is something that's a limiting factor for you, then then the cooler temperatures are going to help you out. Okay. So on this panel, we, we are a little uh, ham We are Brits uh, mostly, and we, we are Lewis Hamilton fans to varying degrees. Me and Alex probably uh, more so. We like to declare who we're fans of so we so that you can put that in a bit of context. So during the podcast, we try and be less so. During the race, obviously, we've got pure Hamfosi hats on and we're, we're cheering for Lewis Hamilton. But when he undercut and there was a moment where will, will Max Verstappen respond? That was the big question, wasn't it? And Lewis Hamilton made up like 1.7 seconds. As soon as he did that, you knew, well, if Max pits now, he's he's absolutely toast, Brad. And, and I... A lot of people were were speculating on social media like, ah, no, maybe Red Bull have done them. Maybe this was the plan all along. To me, it felt clear that they'd realised that that plan had gone wrong. They'd realised they'd been undercut, thought about going long because they stayed out another lap just to see if anything else would happen. And then they had to pit. They couldn't go any longer. And they realised, oh, at that point, Brad, Mercedes had genuinely the upper hand. Yeah, it felt to me like a real role reversal here from what we normally see. And Mercedes being more proactive like this and forcing Red Bull's hand and being the more aggressive was so refreshing to me watching. Um, and, and I was just really pleased that they did it. And this was one of the very rare situations where I actually called it. I saw that the, the gap was coming down between Lewis and Max. Uh, and I was I thought maybe this is a good chance. You know, Just go for it. Just undercut him, pit now, and you'll get track position and then we'll see what happens. And that then kind of left Red Bull in this situation where they they had to just keep going for a bit because it was too late to do anything. Well, and I think, again, I know everybody wants to get rid of Botas as a player in this, but to my recollection, to my recollection, Lewis was about 20-ish seconds behind Verstappen when he came back out. Sure. And they didn't pit Botas. Normally, they pit him the next lap because they try to be very fair on strategy, right? They didn't. 
they kept him out till Lewis was about 18, 17 seconds back of Max. He was sitting there that extra lap for a reason. And that reason was to make Red Bull's life very, very complicated and to get Lewis inside of that window. And with the, and with the uh, pit stop, with the advantage, the Delta, that's the word I'm looking for, with the Delta over Verstappen after he made his pit stop that Mercedes wanted him to have. Okay, Brad, I can see the point that Matt's making. I, I really don't think Bottas made... I'm happy to agree to disagree. I don't think Bottas being there made a huge difference because he wasn't going to overcut. So maybe he was getting rid of the long, longer run option. But that was never really an option for Verstappen. It was never an option to just stay out. He would have just got gobbled up with you know new tyre pace. It felt to me like Bottas was just a bit too far back. Yeah. It was five or six yeah, seconds by yeah. that point. And, and if he had come in and he had also maybe gone for this undercut over Max. Red Bull would have had a lap or two to, to maybe think about doing something about him. So that, that was the way I saw it. Merck had an opportunity to stick Bottas in Max's way anyway. They pitted, they pitted Bottas when he was like four or five seconds ahead of Max. If they wanted to, they could have completely hung Bottas out to dry to then hold yeah. Max up. Um, I think they were gunning for a one-two rather than to just try and get Lewis ahead of Max. And then they bought their pit stop. And that, so what, what really Red Bull's role of the dice, Matt, was to stick Verstappen onto the, the mediums. And, and then that, again, is when that, that race kind of turned on its head because with Verstappen closing the gap from, I don't know what it was, like eight or nine seconds, and then he suddenly started bringing it all the way down to two seconds, all of a sudden, again, the race tipped on its head because at that point, Red Bull were in the box seat. Red Bull, um, Hamilton was struggling on hards that were meant to maybe extend the stint Verstappen just eroded that advantage and they were about to have a battle on track and they forced Mercedes hand yeah and I just want to point out that the tire allocation at the start of the race saw Red Bull with their choices having one new medium tire to use um versus Mercedes having two new hard tires so so Red Bull uh, didn't have the two hards and no mediums. They had one hard and one medium. In hotter temperatures, I think Red Bull had the advantage there. But in cooler temperatures, again, I'm going to go with Mercedes, or they just made the best choice for them, and it just worked out. But but even the tires they put him on were down to the choices they'd already made before they even got there. Okay, so we've done tires and strategy. Let's get to the fun bit. Not that that wasn't fun. Not that tire strategy isn't fun. But this just all set up the final battle, which is Lewis Hamilton is out on track in on hard tyres. Uh, Verstappen comes out with 10 lap younger hard tyres. Yep. And that is what sets up our, our final battle. Uh, and was that was that 11 laps, was it, Brad? And that set up an advantage where Verstappen was actually lapping around a second a lap faster than Lewis Hamilton. And at that point, I basically tweeted, well, Max has got this. But that still shows it's going to be a great season. Like, I'd mentally checked out. I just, I thought that was a Verstappen win. Brad? I also thought that. Uh, I was I was kind of resigned to it. I could see the speed the gap was coming down. And, and I thought, unfortunately, especially with a couple of Lewis radio messages thrown in where he's saying things like, this is all I've got. Um, <laughs> I, I really thought he's going to get up to him eventually and he's going to be a bit of a sitting duck. And I was annoyed because I thought, this will be the example that the the Hamilton haters or the not Hamilton fans will use yeah, yeah. As their example of, see, 
Max beat Lewis in a straight fight and it wouldn't have been a fair straight fight because Lewis would have been at such a disadvantage in terms of older tyres and DRS effect, that kind of thing. Alex? Yeah, and, and it, what was ominous was in the middle sector, Max was like between four and seven tenths quicker. Yeah. Um, which which the crucial point for that is he's been so fantastic through turn 13, which is the penultimate corner, um, that he if being that fast through that sector means it's a perfect lineup for a DRS move into the first, either on the first DRS zone or the second DRS zone. Um, so yeah, it, I, I as well had just checked out and gone, well, Max will just roll up and, and roll past him and Lewis will live to fight another day. From a driving point of view, I did slightly suspect that part of the reason Lewis was so much slower than Max through that fast downforce dependent middle sector wasn't just that the Mercedes was at a disadvantage aerodynamically to the Red Bull through there, but also because of that, and because he knew he had to make these tyres last, he couldn't afford to lean on the car through there and extract everything he could get from those front tyres through that section, because then he would definitely have no tyres left by the end of the race. So it's almost exaggerated that effect by him having to just underdrive through that middle sector to keep the front tyres in by the end. I think he was also using it to energy save, especially in the in the final stage of the race, where you could see the car harvesting quite a lot. He'd obviously put everything into reserves to make sure he's got the power for the straights because that Honda power unit isn't isn't hobbled anymore. I think that Honda power unit is almost just as good, almost or just as good as the Mercedes. Unfortunately for Lewis, that sector where Max was significantly quicker is really the one sector where it's very hard to pass. So he had that in his favour. Uh, Matt. Right. So essentially, if I'm Red Bull, my strategy is I'm going to bet on Verstappen to make an on-track pass to win the race. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good bet. Yeah. If I'm Mercedes, I'm betting on Lewis to be able to eke the tires out and do just enough to hold off Verstappen at the end. And I don't think that was a winning strategy, except for the fact that Max... Call it a mistake. Call it what you will. (laughs) Here we go. And this brings us to, we're going to have to talk about turn four. We're going to. This brings us to turn four. Max had to give the pass back after he made it. And crucially, right after he did that, you could see him trying to stay close because the advantage in sector two, which was there even in qualifying Brad. So yes, he was saving tires, but I think Red Bull had an advantage there anyway. Trying to stay close, you could see him spin up the rear tires and almost lose the car. And I think given how worn his tires are, I think that took the best out of his rear tires. And from that point on, he was gaining maybe a tenth in a sector where previously he had gained six or seven tenths. Now, some of it, you're right, is down to the Urs deployment because clearly Mercedes were targeting that. But at the end of the day, it was done once that happened because his tires were over their best. Anyone who's driven good sim racing um, races and and had a, a kind of tire temperature critical car a bit like uh, when we do our i racing and you've got the i racing Formula One car you'll know that overheating the tires you can have good performance right up until the point where you don't and it only takes a little bit to go over that mark and and I think Max was running quite close to that and then when he got a bit eager obviously ran wide with the pass attempt and then tried to follow Lewis through that middle sector it just tipped him over that that critical temperature point. And he just didn't have enough time to get back to the point where the tyres worked for him. I think the whole situation just shows, you know, Max is probably a quicker driver than Lewis. But what? I think Wait, what? Lewis, but Lewis is 
the total package yeah. of experience and understands the playing out of the race. Max is still really raw, like Lewis was back in like 07, 08, those kind of years. And, you know, I, I'm terrified about what Max will become because I think he'll be an absolute phenom. Um, but at the moment, on experience, Lewis has got him. Well, uh, Brad, you know, did the killer tweet, didn't you, Brad, which was one day Max Verstappen is going to take that baton from Lewis Hamilton, but but not today, not this day. Yeah, Lewis Lewis did enough today, and I'm sure we'll get into the specifics of the overtake <laughs> attempt and, and all yeah, of the yeah. things that happened around that. But yeah, Lewis used every bit of his experience and his speed to do the job today. And the, the one little glimmer of hope I had during that final battle, when I thought all was probably lost, uh, especially when Max actually went for the move, was Lewis's radio message back to his engineer where he said, leave me alone, effectively. I don't remember what the exact words were, but he he basically, he didn't say, I can't do this. No, He no. said, leave it to me, effectively. Yeah. And that, that made me think that he thinks he's got just enough to do it. And the Red Bull engineers approached it really well to Max Verstappen. The radio call to him was, basically, we think you've got it. Let us know if you need anything. So they kind of put it that other way around, and then there was there was no response. So what we had, Matt, was the two drivers of this generation that we all want to see racing in, I don't think quite equal machinery. Tell me if you think that I'm being biased, but I think at that point, yes, Red Bull and Verstappen had earned that advantage, but I'm just talking about that last seven or eight laps. In fact, we'll just go back to Brad first in case, see if I'm getting this wrong. In that last seven laps, however that advantage was given, here here are how the advantages went. Lewis had track position, that's gold. And, and he, they strategically worked for that. But Verstappen had the tyres and probably the car. So it was a, it was a brilliant drill. Like, I'm sure we'll see this the other way around in future races. But, I mean, wow, did we get to see F1 at its best. Yeah, I don't think Max Verstappen fans and Red Bull fans should feel too hard done by by this. Because as I've, as I've posted on social media after the race... Max had a few advantages in this race over Lewis. It wasn't like he was fighting with a hand tied behind his back. We know the car is faster. Even if in race pace, they're pretty similar. It's a fundamentally faster car. He had 11, 10 or 11 laps, I've heard from different sources, at least 10 lap newer tyres on the same compound. Yeah. Um, he also had DRS to help him overtake. He also had a slipstream. He, you know, he also had time on his side. It wasn't like we were straight on the last lap when he got there. He could pick his moment. He didn't have to pass Lewis on that exact lap. He could wait a little bit and really choose the time. So there were quite a few yeah. things in Max's favour. Slight caveat is that he also had a gap to close, which he did close. So there was about nine seconds after that pit stop. So it wasn't you know, as in Lewis's favour as we might be making out because obviously you have to use some tyres to get up to that point. But he did, uh, Matt. And I don't think it was a misjudgment. I don't think he used too much up getting there when he got there he still had a slight advantage but I was watching the times it was a second a lap he was making up and then it went down to half a second a lap and then that last three four seconds actually took a long time to close up by the time they got together Brad you're not agreeing I think by the time they got together a lot of that tire advantage had gone he still had one but not as big as when it started I was absolutely agreeing. I was just also going to say uh, Verstappen had just seen Hamilton lock up as well. So he would have known he was driving slightly wounded with a a car which could lock the tyres under pressure. I don't think it's controversial to say Max had the better car. I don't think it's controversial to say that he had the tyre advantage. 
but he also did have uh, some mechanical disadvantages that he sure. did not have in qualifying. And I think I've got even somewhere on the page, like a whole list of things in Mercedes favor and in, in Red Bull's favor or disadvantage that even it out. But yeah, if you want to argue that we saw the two best drivers in the sport in close pretty machinery, much equal machinery yeah, or close enough to not matter. Yeah. Going at it for the last six laps. When was the last time we saw any six lap attack sustained at all? Thank mm-hmm. you, Pirelli. Yeah. And FIA for getting the rules right. We've not seen such a thing. And it was utterly and completely delightful to watch. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. I uh, I don't know how everybody everybody else was uh, watching that, but I was so tense, like I was unbelievably tense, and I, I genuinely didn't mind which way it was going to go. Like I know you know I'm a Hamilton fan. I've, I've okay, maybe I slightly minded which way it was going to go, uh, but whatever way it went, F1 was going to win. Like if Lewis Hamilton somehow defends that, that's great. I can celebrate that. If Max Verstappen wins, like hats off we've seen like a battle of a generation there. Uh, but I was so tense. I was, I didn't realize I was like holding my chest in tension. I was breathing heavily when I was breathing at all. My 10 year old son actually turned to me and said, dad, are you okay? And my answer was, I- I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm okay. Cause I don't, I don't remember ever being this tense watching an F1 race. It, it really was truly fantastic that that last um that last five laps but we're going to have to get onto the turn four stuff brad from a, a driving and defending point of view uh you had confidence that lewis hamilton was going to be able to place his car well Let, let's talk for a second about the two of those uh drivers tactics going into it lewis hamilton's car positioning was actually quite conservative 
He defended when he had to, but he never defended when he didn't have to. Does that make sense? I, I think it was key. Like he really picked his defensive moments. For someone who hasn't had to do a whole lot of defending over the last few years, he judged things <laughs> extremely well, I thought. When Max actually made the pass, when he he made that move, there wasn't anything else Lewis could have done. He was obviously struggling on the exit of turn one. You could see he was going deep on the exit of the hairpin first corner. And Max was going to get a run, especially with the DRS uh, down to turn four. So Lewis basically did everything he could. And the one thing he really did in that particular situation was he he made sure that Max went around the outside yeah, and yes. made him go the long way around. And although he wasn't alongside him at the point Max went fully off the track, he made sure Max didn't have the high ground on the inside where Lewis couldn't come back at him. You know, he he forced that error yeah. without actually forcing him wide in the moment. Interesting, Alex. Brad has used the word error. Agree? Was that an error from Max? Well, yeah. If you are going around the outside of somebody and you go off the circuit, it's an error. Um uh, I think he got a bit of an oversteer moment as well. So that's always going to be an, an issue. That could have been tyres, that could have been anything. But if you go off it's your, and no one's hit you and you've just been round the outside of somebody, it's the risk you take. And it was an error for Max and he paid for it, unfortunately. So I, I do feel the need to point out that the both of them were passing Giovinazzi at that point on the way down to that turn. And then I, I have a legitimate question because I watched this replay like five, six, seven times and I genuinely could not tell. Is it possible that Max's left front wheel got hooked over the curb, over the outside of the curb, and that was what chucked him off of the circuit? Because there was, as, as Gigi mentioned, that, that oversteer moment, but I continue to watch it and it look, it really looks to me like maybe he just got skewed off that path a little bit uh, before the oversteer moment happened. Well, what's clear, Brad, is at some point he thinks he's making the corner and he has to open the steering. And that's what it's not like his trajectory was always bringing him off. At some point mid corner, he opens the steering and that's what sends him off track. I need to re I need to review that replay on board from various different angles over and over. But from from what I've seen and from what it looked like to me was he just committed to a pass around the outside where to make that work, you have to, you know, you're going further than the car on the inside. So you have to be going quicker. It's also not the racing line because you're not going to make the apex. So you've got to run a bit wide around the outside. So you've got to go in a little bit quick to make it work. And it just looked like it was a very small misjudgment. You know, they've been deliberately, both of them, and I want to point this out because I've seen quite a lot of um, false um, comments uh, online about this uh, about this track limit in that particular corner. He just ran a bit wider than he probably intended to. He wanted to keep a tyre on the kerb for whatever reason, whether it's slightly too much speed on the entry or whether it was a combination of that and an oversteer moment caused by maybe the kerb or whatever. He, he was all four wheels off the track. And, and as you've shown us a picture, Spanners, on WhatsApp, he was a long way. It yeah. wasn't like he was just off the curb. Yeah, it wasn't off. Max, yeah. he was several feet away from being legal. It wasn't like a little off. <laughs> um, and, and so it wasn't a fair overtake. And I've seen people say, yeah, but Hamilton forced him wide. And again, if you analyse the replay, Hamilton was behind him. He didn't force him off. Hamilton was actually tucked in behind Max at that point. So it's kind of a fair cop. The question we have is, whether it's over the policing of the yeah. track limits at that point of the track and, and how that was taken during the race. We'll get there, Alex. 
also the thing to remember about that overtake was um max's options were cut off a little bit because there was a back marker i think it was Giovinazzi was on the inside so max couldn't have gone to the inside even if he wanted to so lewis was shrewd and just stuck to the middle of the max circuit couldn't max have waited why did he have to overtake at that corner on that lap because he had DRS and he was coming through. Okay. And why wait? And, and why wait? And why wait another lap? Lewis had locked up and was in, it was yeah, in yeah. recovery mode. Trumpets. Okay. So the point that I wanted to make, the last point about arguing this, is the rule is very clear. You're not allowed to use the outside of turn four and gain a lasting advantage. But one of the facts of that matter was that before he went off the track. Verstappen was fully ahead of Hamilton. And given the oversteer, if I was going to make the argument for Red Bull, I'd say that between the oversteer and the fact that it looked like it wasn't intentionally going wide to carry more momentum, at least to me, and I will wait for Brad's opinion on this, so you're going to have to tell me later. (laughs) I'm not sure he gained an advantage over Lewis. Oh, hang on. No, 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 things, no. Everything well, absolutely. Well, we, we have, I think the main argument is, is more about Lewis's uh, race long abuse of the track limits. I think that's the argument we'll ex- explore next that maybe has a bit more validation. That as, I do uh, want to talk about. Yeah, as well. yeah. As for making a move stick, it's the whole move. It, it doesn't matter that you were physically passed and, and then, oh, and then you went off, but you were already passed. There's plenty of precedents uh, for this. Where Canada is a great example where this happens over and over. Nico Rosberg passed Lewis Hamilton. He he defended by just going on. So that's not even an overtake. He just defended by going straight on and kept his position when Lewis had a chance to, to overtake. Sebastian Vettel as well, penalised in Sector 2. Uh, uh, Roman Grosjean round the outside in Hungary, I think in 2016. Uh, the whole thing with Spa, with Massa and Lewis Hamilton as well. It's never been legitimate it's never been allowed if you pass off the track you are almost always either penalized or asked to give the place back Matt, I, I really don't think there's any controversy around verstappen being told to give that place back i don't think there's any controversy about it except for just that technical niggle for me watching the footage he's very clearly by i just don't see why he I don't see the physics of him needing to be that wide. And then I see the oversteer, which would have cost him momentum. So I see the technical argument, how much of an advantage did he really gain being there? And that's different to what Lewis did earlier. And so, yeah, it's a real technical thing. We don't have to delve into it any more than that. But I felt it was worth bringing up. Yeah, I want to go into the track limit abuse earlier on. But just to finish that, just to finish that whole point. It's not like Max did anything deliberately wrong. No, no. It's just yeah. one of those things. And I just don't think it's in dispute. I don't even think Max is disputing it. It's not like one of those VAR football decisions yes. where, oh, was he offside? It's so close. Now, he was miles off the track. Hamilton objectively didn't force him off. So there is no argument. He passed Hamilton off track. So, so that exact penalty is obviously justified. It's the question about people saying, well, Lewis was running wide sure, there sure. earlier. Well, you'll get the first point on that. But firstly, Alex, get in there. The um, the thing as well, where you talk about Max isn't disputing it. Max knew. Yeah. But that's why he argued at the end, why didn't you just let me go and get ahead? Because and, he, and was, get he a penalty. thought yeah. he'd get a five-second penalty. So he was just like, just let me go and I can get my five-second <laughs> gap. But I think it had been said by Michael Massey, which is they are not going to allow that. 
And if you do things like that overtake, overtaking when you shouldn't, they are going to make you get back part. They're going to make you give the position up. OK, but Brad, the only reason Lewis Hamilton was in that position and was ahead was because he was consistently abusing the track limits at, at turn four. And therefore, Red Bull should appeal and get him a penalty for, for not staying within track limits. Yeah, on the face of it, that sounds like a, a pretty decent argument, doesn't it? Um but let's just look at the history of the track limits at this corner. So during the weekend, earlier on, people were massively abusing that particular corner. People were running wide. And the FIA was saying that we're not really going to police it because you don't gain a lasting advantage. In fact, a lot of people can actually set their fastest lap by not running all the way wide there. They then changed their mind and decided that they would be policing it more strictly. During the start of the race, Lewis was evidently going wide there and not being penalised for it which is just one of those things that you you know you try and get away with whatever you can get away with in racing you know that you're going to get a certain number of of offs in a place like that before you get a warning so you know you can push the limits of it before you actually get a genuine penalty so lewis was, was kind of doing what he's paid to do there the team warned him about it because uh, the FIA had warned them about it, but that wasn't before Red Bull had told Max over yeah. the radio he yeah. should also do that. Now, so Verstappen had also been abusing that earlier in the race on yeah. the orders of the team. So it's an interesting approach from Red Bull because what they could have said to Max was, we believe Lewis Hamilton is abusing track limits. We're appealing that. Make sure you don't abuse those track limits. But what they did was a little bit passive aggressive. It was like, wow. We're seeing Lewis Hamilton is abusing those limits, so I guess you should as well, which takes away the option to to go ahead and protest that, Matt, because, because Max was actively, deliberately abusing those track limits as well. He was... All right, so let, let's just talk about the language of it. Everyone's like, oh, track limits, oh, this, police that. No, no. The rule was always very clear. You're not allowed to go outside the limits on turn four and gain a lasting advantage. Otherwise, it wasn't a problem. And we saw plenty of cars from time to time being out there. But when Lewis was chasing down Max, we saw him consecutively being there. Now, Brad makes the point. He may not have been gaining, gaining time, but he might well have been saving tires, gaining yeah. him time elsewhere. And Red Bull said, well, we're going to call. But in the meantime, you should probably do the same thing so he stops eating into your advantage. I don't have a problem with that. Okay, so I don't want to overly criticize the, the FIA. It's a very tough thing when you've got tracks that don't have natural limits to decide on the fly, weekend per weekend, which track limits you're going to enforce. So we either have track limits like in sim racing where you enforce it electronically, which, by the way, is perfectly technically possible. Like the technology definitely exists for a red light to appear in the steward's box every time someone breaks track limits, Alex. Like that is a thing that we can literally do if they wanted to. They should have VAR. There's never any issues with VAR. Everyone, everyone's really, really happy with VAR, aren't they? No, no, no. The, the point I want to make here is that we, we can have Red Bull, Mercedes fans, Verstappen, Hamilton fans arguing when really this is, this is a policing issue. There's two different rules for qualifying in the race. That's confusing as, as heck to start with. But I think what the FIA did here, what Massey did here, is they covered themselves. They covered their butts. They said, in qualifying, we're going to delete the lap time. And, and I think this was the precedence was set at uh, the, 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 spa, the Red Bull ring in Austria, where in the last sector, if you run wide, that lap time is deleted. So we've got used to in qualifying lap times deleted. The language they said was essentially, 
we're not going to police turn four at all in the race. We're not policing it. Crack on. Unless, and that's the problem, Matt, the unless was so ambiguous that it, it, it basically amounted to we will not police it unless we decide to. And, and that's where the problem was. Well, it wasn't quite unless we decide to. It, it was, was. It was if if it you did it. Was. I mean, they pretty much said if you do this enough, we will take. No, 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 no. They said if you gain an advantage, we will look at it. That was the language, and we will look yeah. at it. Could literally mean anything. Yeah, and 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 look at it. They did warning. They issued. Yeah, and stopped. It was so within, to borrow a phrase from Yoda. So within the technical rules of, of gaining an advantage, Lewis Hamilton was pushing the limits of that. Red Bull effectively protested it. The FIA told him to stop doing it. He was like, well, I thought there wasn't any limits. They said, well, that's what we've been told. They then complied. But when it comes to overtaking outside of track limits, that's not ambiguous. We've always had that rule. You can't leave the track to overtake. That's completely fair. There's a long history of that. I don't think there's anything controversial there. Uh, but I will end that little segment by just saying... That, that was a breathtaking battle. We've spent 57 minutes pretty much on that battle because it's the battle we have wanted for years and years and years and years. I make no apology for that. We will try and do some makeup shows. And by the time we do our next show on Sunday, a lot of the other shows uh, will only have just released their race review anyway. So you shouldn't miss out too much. Uh, if you want to uh, become a supporter of Missed Apex Podcast, you can. Uh, we're not backed by any conglomerates by any big magazines uh, we are not uh, in the pocket of anyone uh, so that we don't have to like give certain opinions we don't have to hold back on our opinions we are an independent podcast mostly funded by a bit of advertising but mostly by our patrons you can support us at www.patreon.com forward slash missed apex there's a few different tiers of support there we appreciate all of them and we try to give out some rewards um for various levels so if you're a five dollar patron come and join us in a uh, slack group which is like a forum uh it's an app and you can chat to the panel and there's a great community in there of formula one fans as well www.patreon.com forward slash missed apex i suggest we move on to the midfield Bearing in mind that we are 57 minutes in, Matt, and uh, we've got a strict one-hour time limit, even for race reviews. That's when we're even... I would say that's when we're most strict about the time limit. But we had a lot of questions answered, I think, uh, in the midfield as well. The most fascinating thing about this season in the midfield was the amount of new drivers in new seats. So as well as the strong rookie contingent, uh, Haas had two rookies. We've got Yuki Tsunoda at... Um, at Toro Rosso, what are they called now? Uh, Alpha Tauri. Uh, we had uh, Sebastian Vettel moving, Daniel Ricciardo, Carlos Sainz, Sergio Perez. There was a lot of kind of almost new boys, if you like. And all that speculation, it's not been answered today, but we got a good look and, uh, you know, there was varying degrees of success. So where, where should we start? Where should we start in that, in that battle of the, of the newbies? Well, I think... One of the biggest questions everybody had was about McLaren. Brand new engine, hampered by the token system to really developing their car. Would Mercedes work for them? And I think we can look at Lando Norris finishing fourth in the race. Yeah. And say that, yeah, McLaren's exactly where we kind of expected slashed, hoped they would be. Brad, you said to me before Lando Norris came into Formula One, he is the most prepared driver that has ever entered into Formula One. And I rode that hype train 
And I've been a little bit disappointed because I don't rate Carlos Sainz that much. But he looks strong today. Yeah, I stand by what I said. Not only did he win basically every championship on the way up, sometimes he won multiple championships in the same year. And he was really good in karts and sim racing. He's just got everything. And he's got youth on his side. And now he seems extremely sensible. He drove a great race today. Um, We obviously didn't see a whole lot of it because we were focusing on what was happening up front. But uh, yeah, I'm... I'm really happy with that, really. He got just pipped by Ricardo in qualifying, but by a, a minuscule amount, and, and he really stamped his authority today. Okay, so it wasn't a high-attrition race today. That's that. I think that's one of the key things. Apart from Sergio Perez's fault that made him have a pit lane start, Like, imagine that Perez was, was up there in fourth anyway. I know I imagined that. Uh, but that would still have been a fifth-place finish, and that's genuine. That's on merit. He looked like he was in the third-best car, beat his teammate and finished fifth. So that's promising. Yeah, and I think at the end of the race, although this doesn't sound amazing, I think he was something like 45 seconds behind the win um, after an hour and a half or more. I, um, I think it was 92-minute race. That's not a huge amount of difference, you know, lap on lap. I know we had um, safety car at the start, but but not for that long. So yeah, I think McLaren's looking good. And, and as a midfield team, they're carrying on from where they left off last year, which is solid, two good drivers, uh, and you know, really good race performance. Alex, does he, does uh, Norris need to enjoy this whilst Ricardo gets up to speed? I'm I'm looking forward to the fallout between Ricardo and Lando. It's coming, man. I, it's coming. It, it is. You can't have the two nicest meme lords on the track, but also two incredibly fierce drivers, especially Daniel Ricardo. And not, I mean, they were very close on track today. In those first couple yeah, of laps, man, I mean, yeah. it was tantalizing. They went into turn 10 together, and I'm like, oh my God, don't do it at the first race. Um, so yeah, so I, I think that race is going to be amazing. And 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 I have to go back a little bit to your comment earlier about Carlos Sainz and you not really rating Carlos. I know. Um, the problem is, the thing you, I think the thing that you may have forgotten and lots of people do forget, mm. he ran Max Verstappen really close when they were at uh, Toro Rosso together. Um, and that's why he was so annoyed that Max got the call up to Red Bull so quickly and he almost got disregarded. That is why he wanted out of that team because he felt he deserved it as much as Max did. But Max was always the wonder boy. So are we saying that my my sort of disappointment that Lando hasn't set the world on fire against Carlos Sainz, I mean, it's more reflective in that he's had challenging teammates, but he has a chance here for podiums. When those attrition races come, and they will, judging by you know previous seasons, He's got to be there and ready to take advantage. Like, we cannot start having Hulkenberg syndromes. Oh, my God, have we coined a phrase? Hulkenberg syndromes start to affect him. Like, he's got to get that donkey off the back. He's got to, when those opportunities come, just take them. Is this the season where we see the the Lando hype train start to, start to gain speed? Yeah, I think we can. Um, I think, I, the thing I think that's, that makes... Lando fall off the radar for people is he's not the most exciting driver. He's just there. He's always got the pace and he's always kind of there. He does the odd interesting thing and he'll be very, very good in qualifying. But I think over the course of a race, he kind of goes missing a little bit. You say that. And yet I remember Austria last year when he passed four people in the last (laughs) lap or something like that. I disagree that he's not an exciting driver. He's just in a car that's in a bit of a bubble uh, and especially at this race where his pace was better than everyone else he was really directly competing with and his teammate well 
you know, let's be honest, it's his first race in a new car. No one really expected him to, to be better than Lando at this point. He's definitely had the exciting moments, but I still think in general, he's just there. He's just quick. And he puts the car probably where it should be. He got the absolute maximum out of that car today and, and drove brilliantly. But apart from to, apart from the first couple of first first couple of laps, um, didn't really see a great deal from him for the rest of the race. Okay, so Brad, he, he, Alex is right. That was a quiet race from from Lando Norris. He did what he needs to do. Looking forward, what do we think are his his strengths as a racer? I think he makes very few mistakes. I think he's confident in battle. As we saw today, the two McLaren drivers were side by side for half the lap on lap one. Um, and, and he didn't put a foot wrong. You know, he was robust against Ricardo. Okay, it's Ricardo's first race for that team. But, you know, he's an experienced guy. He's a proven multiple race winner. He's a solid driver that's done some practice in the car at this track. It's not like he's just jumped in the car for the first time. He's not doing a Hulkenberg at Silverstone last year. Yeah. So I think... Lando showed again today that he's he's got the skill set necessary, the overtaking ability, consistency, uh, you know, lack of mistakes to to be a top line driver as soon as the opportunity presents itself. Okay, okay, L- let's move on from that. There's a few people in the chat that have asked, you know, when are we going to talk about uh, Haas and certain drivers? Pfft. Haas, okay, I'll do it. I'll give you my hot take on Haas. Haas were officially entered into the Bahrain Grand Prix. Now, good. Can I talk about uh, Perez now, Matt? Is it Perez time? Can we talk about Perez? Can we do it? Because on Saturday, right, I was speaking to Joe last week, and I said, basically, supporting a a midfield driver, the the worst nightmare you actually have as a supporter of a midfield driver is for them to get promoted to a top team against one of the best drivers in the world. And you kind of go, oh, Okay, so you now have to go from going, you know, oh, he's massively underrated to how is he going to go in a in a top team? And the very first qualifying session just didn't go well for Sergio Perez. The core pace didn't look terrible against Max Verstappen, but that's a low bar. I don't want to fall into the trap of, you know, what Lance Stroll apologists do where they go, oh, look, but he was fast one time. Uh, but Perez, his, his overall pace was broadly encouraging. And then he, by his own admission, he he just fluffed Q2. He said, I didn't do a good enough lap. Well, that's better than just not being quick enough. Uh, but actually, the best case scenario for me was that he had that electrical fault, had to start from the pit lane. Because from then, you can only go up. It's only hero antics from there. And for a first race in a top team to show what you can do, it's kind of like doing a ghost race on iRacing or sim racing. He had a relatively low pressure race from the back to show, but I can broadly be on pace. And some of his harder tyre, long run race paces were were reasonably impressive and hopeful. Yeah, I'm thinking this technically fits into our questions answered phase. So I I, I will go with you there. Yeah, Perez finishing 11th in qualifying. We're thinking this is not what Red Bull signed him for. But they didn't really sign him for his qualifying pace because his qualifying pace hasn't always been fantastic quite frankly. Other people have out-qualified him in the past. What he has always done well is finish races and finish them to the, to the maximum the car allows. And particularly, he's been good with tires. And they wanted someone with that experience yeah. and that flexibility. And the fact that he finished fifth after starting last, safety car notwithstanding, 
is is exactly why Red Bull want him. Yeah, and exactly and, why he's going to be a thorn in the side of Mercedes chasing their next constructors championship. And Brad, he was voted driver of the day. And as you know, I've consistently said that driver of the day voting is the absolute most reliable barometer of driver performance. So <laughs> there you go. Stop laughing. Okay. I definitely don't think he was driver of the day, but everything <laughs> I saw from his onboards looked like that car was easy to drive and looked like it was completely underneath him. So I fully expect him to be up there in a much bigger way than Albon or Gasly have been in that second seat yeah. for the rest of this season. But I just want to point out, I think also if Albon or Gasly were there this year, they would probably also be up there because Ooh, I think the stop car ruining is... It. It's, oh, Brad, you're ruining everything. The car just looks so much better relative to the other teams than it has done and easier to drive. The way it was over the curbs, Max was able to use so much curb because the car just didn't look like it was going over a curb. It was incredible. But um, with regards to Perez, how how much of a gap in qualifying to Max going forward is enough? Oh, it's a good question. What do you think? Uh, Matt, what do you reckon? Uh, my standard rule is if I'm within three tenths or so yeah. of my teammate, I've done a good job. If I'm more than that, I've had a bad one. And if I'm less than that, then it's it's a good fight. Uh, for example, Norris and Signs were about a tenth off average last season, as were um, Ocon and Ricciardo. And those were your two closest pairings in terms of qualifying pace. It's true or false statement? Perez's job is to beat Bottas. No, not quite. Not quite. I think Perez's job is to give Max Verstappen options. I think that's but that the job. means beating job Bottas, surely. Is to maximize Red Bull points. No. Which means beating Bottas. Now, this, this is a great question. What do Red Bull want? If they could choose between the driver championship and the constructors championship, I believe Red Bull will absolutely favor the driver's championship. Matt? Yeah, well, they are choosing. All right. What is Red Bull? Is it a race team? Yes. Is it a technology center? Yes. Is it a marketing business? Oh, yeah. You better believe it. Yeah. So if you ask the marketers, what do they want? They want the driver's championship. Driver. Because Good. that's more mm-hmm. marketable. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Which one do I think they might be more likely to win? Okay. The constructor. Here's the question to Alex then. If you've got Sergio Perez to deploy as a tool and you're Christian Horner... And you wave Jerry goodbye in the morning. By the way, on Drive to Survive, I've got to say that, like, he definitely didn't seem as evil as he normally... He came across really nice. When he's, like, consoling Albon about losing, losing that podium, came across really nice. I think Christian Horner's a lovely, lovely bloke. If you're Christian Horner... Stop shaking your head. If you're Christian Horner, Alex, do you deploy Sergio Perez to help Max Verstappen make the win, even if that means losing a few places going down to fifth? Or do you worry about total constructors' points? That's the key question. He is there to back up Max. Yes, um, they are. They are not put. He is not there to be like right, Perez. You've now got an equal opportunity to go. For oh the no, 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 no one thinks that. It, 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 it's not. It's not happening. Yeah, and that's why I think his job is there to beat Bottas because he's not going to beat Lewis week in week out. Um, he might get the jump over it if that Red Bull stays the consistent better car and do what Bottas did to Max occasionally, which is get ahead of Max. But yeah. I think general, as long as he can keep Bottas at bay, they can then help Max win the driver's title and help Red Bull 
win the constructors title. It is go out there and just be ahead of Bottas. Don't care what else you do, just be ahead of Bottas. Sure. So Maria in the chat room reminds me that Joe Saywood said on the podcast midweek that Red Bull is a one car team. I believe Ferrari are also generally uh, a one car team, and there's a few teams in history that have that that strategy. And I, and I think most teams that are fighting for titles, unless they are massively dominant, like the the Williams back in the heyday or the 2014, 2015, 2016 Mercedes, unless you've got that clear margin, you have to at some point prioritise one driver over another. And as much as Mercedes would never admit it, they know. They know that that was a one-car team for the last several se- uh, seasons, and I expect that to be the same this season as well. I think uh, we move on to Sebastian Vettel, which gives us our first chance of the season to play this game. Whose fault is Whose it? Whose fault is it? Oh, my goodness. Sebastian Vettel clashing with Esteban Ocon. Now, uh, we are quite sympathetic to Sebastian Vettel these days. We think he's a great driver. Um, only Matt here, I think, is an, an Esteban Ocon fan. And there was a collision between the two of those drivers. We play a game on this podcast called Whose Fault Is This? And it comes from my toxic, my toxic marriage, where we... Unlike Mercedes, we have a 100% blame culture to the point that if our house was on fire, before fleeing, we would stop and argue about whose fault the fire was. And then when we had ascertained that it was my fault, we could then go and rescue the memory cards, the pets, maybe the favourite child if we have time. So on Missed Apex podcast, whenever there is a racing incident, we never ever declare it's a racing incident. I want people to at least decide whose fault it was most, who was mostly to blame for causing the incident. And actually, the guys were pretty well behaved on track today. We had one driver stamp on the accelerator out of turn three in his very first race in Formula One, just decided to be a first lap hero. Just just all the acceleration. We're talking about Mazepin, aren't we, Brad? Mazepin, all the acceleration in one go on lap one. Just, I, I thought, he, did he think he was going to win the championship on turn three? Uh, it felt crazy. It felt crazy. He just went for it. I think the Haas is particularly <laughs> tough to drive. You I might think be right. Yeah. Mazepin's the one who's finding it the toughest, although Schumacher also had a spin on his own a little bit later. So I saw a, an interesting or a funny tweet from uh, Jack Aitken where he said um, he <laughs> bad about yes. his spin on lap 16 now um, in his debut. But yeah, yeah. I don't think we're going to see a lot of great things from either of those. So so, so generally well-behaved apart from that. Obviously, yes, you're, you're right to point out that Schumacher also struggled with that. Gasly had a bit of a coming together that lost his front wing. It seemed like a, a bit of a nothing incident and, and he only sort of ruined his own race really out of that. Um, but the one incident we saw was, and, I, and I'm, I hate to say it, Matt, what we saw is Esteban Ocon blatantly weaving and brake checking Sebastian Vettel uh, and and wrecking his race and and destroying Vettel's front wing. I mean, and yet another example of Ocon's recklessness. Or we saw him drive in a straight line and turn right <laughs> at the end of the straight and just get punted by Vettel, who is utterly convinced that 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 Ocon changed his line because, like you know, if he didn't, he would just have driven straight into a wall. Uh, Brad, we had this discussion because I did a similar thing in sim racing and and I apologize in advance for comparing our sim racing to like F1 stuff. But but, uh, it's a good learning experience for me. I tucked in behind someone who I was was actually telling them 
go past me because I'm, I'm not challenging you. Go past me and I'm going to follow you. So I followed them into the wake of their arrow, lost my braking force, ended up locking up and then punting them. It, it looks like that's what Vettel did. He just he ducked in bizarrely instead of holding his line and behind somebody else. You, I guess you'll explain it better, but you lose braking force when you're behind someone. Yeah, obviously the um, the downforce helps you brake harder because it means it's harder to lock your front tyres. Uh, and if you follow a car, there's less air travelling over your front wing because the car in front has already used it. So you're kind of in a pocket of air that's not moving as fast and therefore your braking performance is lessened. You can't press the pedal as hard. Um, and Vettel got that wrong today. Normally at lower speeds, it obviously has less of an effect and they were going relatively slowly. But I, I just have to say I'm sad because... Mm. It, Every race that goes by with Vettel in his current form, it devalues the picture that I keep in my room here. And I'm going to, I'm going to get it tucked away behind a shelf soon because um, Sebastian's going to be remembered as a bit of a, a bit of a slow. Uh, let, let me describe driver. the picture, which is a picture of hold it up again for the camera, but it's a picture of you and Sebastian Vettel at the race of champions where you finished above him on the podium for the skills challenge. But yeah, he, I mean, we're talking legacy. How is he going to be remembered as we go forward? It's one race, Matt. It's one race. Let's not panic. But that was the kind of horrible mistake that we saw from Schumacher, for example, I think in Singapore in one of his late seasons with Mercedes. And you go, something's not quite right here. He's not quite got the the same awareness. Or the sport has just evolved past him. And... Are we seeing that with Vettel? Because that was that was a horrible error. It was a horrible punt. Well, this I think this is the question that we really wanted to see answered. And I'm going to just say, unfortunately for all of us, Aston's clever decision to try and make him drive a one-stop race yeah. really all didn't right. let yeah. us get an no, answer to yeah. that. He And, you know, he started at the back because of the double-waved yellows from the Mazepin spin and qualifying. And... It was just never on. He lost all the time in testing. He still doesn't feel comfortable with the car. I, I just, I don't think now is the time to draw any firm conclusions about Vettel and where he really is. Okay, I agree. That is that is true. But when you go back, you know, rewind 20 minutes to when we were talking about the guys who'd all changed teams, Ricardo looked at home, not quite on Lando's pace, maybe missed out half a yard in breaking zones in in, in attack. Uh, Perez looked good on race pace. Yuki Tsunoda, which I, I hope we'll have a chance to talk about him. He just looked at least fiery. He looked at home and and comfortable. Point. Yeah. Well, Haas guys aside, all the guys who changed teams looked comfortable, except for Vettel, Alex, who start to finish qualifying, yellow flags, punting someone, unlucky. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. It's like the Austin Powers movie. It's like he's had his mojo stolen. Oh wow! And, yeah, and he just and he he just looks he just looks down. But I think I think he'd have been so excited for this challenge of a new team, and then the car's disappointing. Um, except seemingly, actually, you can't say that really. Stroll did really well today. I shouted, "Go on, Stroll!" twice today. I mean, one was because he overtook overtook Alonso, but. You know, I just, it, it's, I think he needs to find his mojo back. Matt, then Brad. And where did Stroll finish? Oh yeah, 10th. Yeah, Aston, hugely disappointing. Who's crying most about the new aero regs? Aston. Who's having the hardest time right now with their tires? Aston. So yeah, that question has been answered. 
just to finish on on Vettel, the real sad thing here, the real disappointing thing is I haven't seen any glimmer of positivity. I haven't seen him look convincing at any point last season, testing this weekend. I've not seen anything to suggest that this is going to get better. And and I've got half a feeling that he's not going to last the season at this rate if Stroll's going to beat him by this much. Ooh. Okay. Let's get some perspective. I hear what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I can see it in my face, what you're saying. Race one. I'm sure we all have that same caveat. Race one. Uh, we, we will talk about Ferrari in a second. Um, just on Yuki Tsunoda quickly, because we were hyping him up here mainly because Chris Stevens has been hyping him up to us and we've all kind of got on the Yuki hype train. Just from a kind of attitude point of view, Brad, it, it, it seems promising. Like he's definitely swinging a big old pair out there. He is going for it. He's confident in front of the, the interviewers and the camp. He's honest about what he's trying to do and when he's made a mistake and when he's, he's going out there, he's racing, he's having fun. I've got, I've, got, I've got a good feeling. I've got a good feeling. Sonoda has a big hype train behind him. He's kind of become prominent relatively recently. Yeah. And it, it actually looks like it's got some substance as well because he seems to, apart from you know qualifying didn't go 100% according to plan, but he's not made any real high profile errors. He seems no. like a likable guy. As you say, confident. He doesn't speak English perfectly, but is still happy to go behind the camera yeah. and, and give interviews confidently. So I just think he he's looking like a solid Formula One driver who doesn't look like he's in his first race. All right, Matt. Scoring points in his first race, P8 in his first race, after his much more experienced teammate removes his front wing <laughs> yeah. by driving oh, to no. the back of Daniel Ricciardo early in the race and basically puts himself out for the entire thing. All right. Okay, I think uh, the last major talking point that I, I want to cover, I'm, I'm sure we've missed a, a million things. Um, in fact, in my any other business, the only mention of Alfa Romeo I want to talk about is how Kimi Raikkonen was complaining, oh, I'm behind my teammate. Is there anything we can do about this? And then Giovinazzi mysteriously has a 10-second pit stop. Now, I'm not saying that those things are related. I'm just telling you two things that happened. That's all I'm talking about. Uh, Ferrari. I want to talk about Ferrari because their one lap pace seemed okay. However, Matt, in the race, they were out-dragged consistently. And that's a worry. No matter how good their package is, no matter how good their downforce is, their sister teams, their customers are terrible. Really? Come on. Their customer teams are terrible, particularly Haas. They are getting absolutely destroyed on the straights. The cars, midfield cars are passing them like they're not there. We can't consider Haas at all in this argument. Because sure. Haas are running last year's car. This is like not even worth mentioning them. Alpha did better today than I expected them to. They did better in qualifying. I don't think you can put it down to just the power unit. And Ferrari... For all, for all of your concerns, and they appreciate your concern mightily. Oh, really? oh good. I'm assured I'm, I'm from glad. Marinello, I'm they glad. appreciate that the mighty Spanners <laughs> is concerned about Ferrari. I've heard. Uh, they finished sixth and eighth, so uh, I don't see the problem Whoa, here. whoa, whoa. What? You don't see a problem with Ferrari, literally the richest, oldest team in Formula One, finishing sixth and eighth. You don't, you're, no, you're classing no. that a victory. That's uh, a problem. Compared to last year? Yeah. That's Absolutely. a low bar. The, their worst ever performance in the history of, like, in 40 years, that's your bar. That's not your bar. Come on. Come on. It is ab- when you're talking about a recovery from the kind of event they had last year, 
It's a multi-year process. They've made significant improvement. They will be a player at the sharp end of the midfield where they were barely present last year. And frankly, as with most of the teams that consider themselves to be, quote, top teams, they are already mostly focused on getting next year's car right. I I think they've done enough with the power unit, and Mm. I'm thinking it's going to be an entertaining season for Ferrari fans. Maybe, but in the midfield. I agree with you there's improvement. I totally agree. I definitely agree with that. But that power unit was lacking. That that on the straights, that is the power unit you do not want on the straights. But is it just the downforce they put on? I mean, you just got to ask yourself, like, we don't know the downforce levels they ran relative to other teams. So there's a lot that goes missing. Okay, so maybe Ferrari have put on a debilitating amount of downforce. We'll see in future Grand Prix. Uh, We are more or less out of time, Matt, but I'm sure we've got time for the essential point you're making now. Yes, well... This section, this section of the show is called Questions Answered, and there was one very big question we didn't get to, which is everybody's favorite former world champion, Fernando Alonso. Okay. Did not have the best of first races. GP2 breaks. GP2 breaks. And basically, I actually had a conversation with Summers, and he said MGUK, and I said debris in the duct. Debris in the duct. 100% for the win. That's what Alpine told us was the reason. Right. Fair enough. For the failure. Alex, how good was that battle between Alonso, Vettel, and Sainz, ex-Ferrari drivers, current Ferrari drivers, and didn't it just show that these modern F1 guys, they can race, they can go wheel to wheel. It was amazing. It was fabulous. It was, there was, they changed positions like 12,000 times. It was amazing. Um, I, I, just to, and it was pinpoint, because there were moments where I thought we'd see a car on its roof. That's how close it got. Um, and it was just fabulous just to see them slicing and dicing and keeping it clean. And it's the thing we want to see. And, you know, hopefully we're going to get more of this as the season goes on. Yeah. Brad. Can I say two very quick things to yeah. clear up, just so we're not left with anything hanging over us? Some people might be wondering why um, Alonso and the team were complaining about breaks when Matt said it's something different. MGUK, did you say? Um as a failure and that'll be because that does some of the braking for you normally at the rear correct and so he will have been relying on the actual brakes more which will have then overheated them and therefore they failed so that hopefully clears that one up someone else earlier asked a technical question about the diff and how that might have been hindering verstappen the briefest diff explanation ever the diff distributes power between the two rear wheels if there's a problem with that and it's not doing that effectively you might spin the wheels more easily on the exits of the corners and that will make life more difficult for you so something like that Thank you, Brad. Okay, that sounds good. Well, I think it's time for our awards. Here at Missed Apex Podcast, when we get to the end of our race reviews, we like to give out some awards. We have a thing of the weekend, which is its not a good name for an award. We've never thought of anything better, but that's a good thing. The thing we like, it can be a person, it can be a, a driver it can be an ethereal concept we also have the missed apex award that's a bad thing that's where we judge from our comfortable sofas uh, we judge people at the very top of their game at the elite level of motorsport and go that was rubbish uh, we have a pony award which is for generally for petulant behavior on the team radio or in interviews and we have comment of the week which rewards the best comments from our live chat 
So the people that have come and joined us live, which uh, at the moment it's looking like nearly 7,000 people have joined us live to watch us recording our race review. And that's before a single person has downloaded the finished audio, which we hope will be ready for you on a Monday morning commute. Uh, I just want to plug a couple of things. Obviously, I would love you to support us at patreon.com forward slash missed apex. But I want you to follow my panel as well. Uh, Bradley Philpot, he streams his iRacing. It's very good. His channel search for at Bradley Philpot. Or are you preferring at Brad Philpot because it sounds younger and cooler? On Twitter, I can't change it. It's at uh, Bradley Philpot. Uh, on YouTube, type Brad Philpot. You'll okay. Find and you'll or find Brad it. Brad Dude 2K. Or Brad dude 2k uh but yeah very good very good uh, technical uh examples of a good sim racer on your stream uh, as well and also you can catch up with uh brad's real life racing i know you're doing a bit of club racing this year and you're in and out of uh, vln whenever that starts uh, obviously they've changed their name but you are a nord schleifer specialist as well uh, so there's lots of racing action to be had if we follow you this season brad Yep, thanks to my sponsor, M4M. I'll be out at Silverstone in a two-hour race in a Porsche Cayman in July. And I'm also racing this week in a Rotax Max up at Teesside in karting, a, making a return at 35. A go-kart, but you're a proper grown-up and everything. They're really fast and scary, <laughs> and I'm very excited. I get scared in a rental kart, so you'd never catch me dead in there in those things. But good luck uh, with that. Is there a broadcast for that? There will be live timing, which I'll post on my socials, and there will definitely be a broadcast for the Porsche race in July. Fantastic. If you want a less technically excellent, but maybe entertaining stream, you can follow Alex Van Jean on YouTube. You've been streaming, obviously, your iRacing stuff, but you also stream, you know, shooty gun games with me as well. Some general gaming stuff. Yeah, a bit of onward, a bit of VR stuff. Um, my my stream now looks really good. Just the driving is not fantastic. Oh. So it's always a good fun to watch because I'm generally having a fight back from an early incident in a race. So I'm generally more exciting to watch than Brad, who's just on his own up front. So um, it's something that works out quite well. Follow for Alex Van Jean at Alex Van Jean, V-A-N-G-E-E-N. And you can catch all of us talking about our sim racing stuff on Missed Apex iRacing. Search for that on your podcast player of choice you can follow matt at matt pt 55 correct mm-hmm. uh you like plugging your wife yeah that means promoting in england don't look at me like that i've not said anything wrong that just means promoting you, you're you're promoting your wife's books what else could it possibly mean there's a link it could have no second meaning could it all the things i've talked about everyone blow your noses and stop it all the things we've talked about, there's links in the show notes below, including links to Matt's wife's books, because she is an author of romantic novels, and you might be interested in them. Indeed, with an agent and published. So mm, There you go. That's what I think. As we like to say in a music biz. But let's stop messing around. You want to know how to follow me? I'm the best one. At Spanners Ready on Twitter, or you can email me, spanners at mistapex.net. There we go. Oh, one more shout out. I don't acknowledge the existence of any other Formula One podcasts, except one. We're first, because we get it done on a Sunday. But if you want a somewhat irreverent look with a bit of comedy thrown in, I would like to recommend a supplement to Mr. Apex podcast uh, that you can listen to once you've consumed our content uh, and you're looking for just something to entertain you. And that is For F1's Sake Podcast. So that is by Terry, Chica, and uh, what's the other one? The used car salesman, Brad? What's his name? 
Phil. I don't know. Phil. Yeah, that's it. it Phil Tromans. Phil Tromans. So uh, those guys and the Stallion produce what I think is one of the best put together technically Formula One podcasts. Go and check them out for F1's sake. When they can be bothered to release an episode, it's fine. And that's the only other podcast I would recommend. Let's get on with our awards. First award is our good thing award. Alex, what is your good thing? Hmm. On a day like today, when 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 there's been a victory like there has been, and I'm a and I'm a Hamilton fan, what possibly could I put as my thing of the week? I got to put it to my <laughs> boy Lewis. I, it, was good, I just, it was just for all the people that I'm going to get so much stick for this. No, go for, for it, all the for all the people that have spent the time going. Only because of the car. Only because of the car. Can only can only win in the best car. Give him give him not the best car. See if he can win. The first time you give him not the best car, he goes and bloody wins. So yeah, Lewis gets everything for me. And the fact that he wasn't even in the top three for voted driver of the day <laughs> is atrocious because he was fabulous today. Well, that's a sign of his dominance. But let's also, I mean, let let's also say you know he's got a pretty good car still, and his team really did do a top draw strategy today and i'm sure matt would argue had the benefit of another driver there to give them an extra chess piece on the board but yeah it's hard to argue that so far matt he's he had he didn't have the best car and he still won he didn't have the best car he still won but at the end of the day he won he won by not losing max lost himself the race when he went off track like that Oh, it was a great. It was a great battle, Brad. It was it was such a good battle, though, wasn't it? Like two, two of those drivers going together. Like he only made that mistake because Lewis Hamilton forced him, and Lewis Hamilton made a mistake because of the pressure that Max Verstappen put him under. Like these are two great drivers. These aren't mugs going around the track. This was this is the pinnacle. This was excellence. It's two eras overlapping, yes, and I hope it what... overlaps for as long as possible. But yes. in fact, we've kind of got three because Alonso's still hanging around. But <laughs> it's the Hamilton kind of handing over to Verstappen, but just not Slowly. yet. And I hope he holds on for another few seasons because this is going to be great. Okay, well, Alex has Bagsy Lewis for the Good Thing Award. Bradley Philpot, who's your Good Thing Award? I always try and find something a little bit left field that other people might not have noticed. And I noticed that Lawrence Stroll was wearing a really good pair of green chinos um, <laughs> that really matched the car. And I thought that was really cool. So there we yeah. go. Lawrence Stroll's trousers. I, I went through a chino phase, but I really just wasn't middle class enough. And I had to abandon it. You know, I, I even once owned a pair of red Calderoys. And people angrily shouted at me that I should understand my station in life. No, that is good. That's a good, good thing award. Uh, Matt, what's your good thing award? Well, there are so many choices, but clearly, since we based more or less an entire show off of it, has to be turn four. Specifically track limits there. Oh, I mean, you could just say the track. It's a great track. You could make that your thing of the weekend. Yeah, but it's more fun if I just say turn four. Okay. Well, my thing of the weekend is going to go to... Lando Norris, because I've wished him well and not felt like I've seen what I wanted to see. And I couldn't have wished for better. It would have been dreamland to say, okay, go get a win, go get a podium. But he's up against Ricardo. He's got a big challenge ahead of him. To see him prop up and finish fourth with no real attrition was absolutely incredible. Um, And here's where we go a little bit uh, negative, isn't it? Oh, no, you missed the Apex. Yeah, it's the missed Apex Award. 
That's the name of the podcast, and it's a bad thing. So, what was your bad thing, Alex? Who missed the apex for you? Mazapin. <laughs> Mazaspin. Someone's made a brilliant website, which was a bit like the Maldonado website, um, which is um, when did Mazapin spin dot co dot uk, well. which I think is hilarious. Um, or it's dot com. Don't know. Go find it. Um, or look at my Twitter. It's on there. Are you sure um, we haven't judged him too harshly and that he's just got a pig of a car that doesn't respond well under power? Don't care. Okay. I don't care. Guy, been, you, you, you just went off. In the, I mean, to be fair, it was scary watching a Haas go off mm-hmm. on that camera shot sure. at that point. I mean, it was the opposite direction, but. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, Mazapin just did nothing this weekend, did nothing but spin. I think he spun on two of his qualifying laps and then bins it out three laps into the race. The whole of F1 Twitter said, oh no, what a shame. Never mind. Bradley Philpott, who missed the apex for you? Okay, so the thing which missed the apex for me was something which was probably overlooked in previous seasons because they were never really in the championship fight, but it could be crucial this year. And it was Red Bull reliability. You had Perez breaking down on the way to the grid. You had Perez having to have energy store changed overnight and that kind of thing. You cannot afford this if you're going to be taking the fight to Mercedes. And Mercedes will take advantage of every one of those points you lose. If Lewis could finish second to Max on several occasions, and if if Max then has... a a car just switch off on the way to the grid Lewis is going to walk away with a big points lead so that's my uh, that's my bad thing award yeah man I just Red Bull have got to bring those cars home haven't they and uh, let's hope that well thing is we're still scarred from the Honda unreliability uh, and also the Renault unreliability so we're scarred from a lot of those engine power unit problems aren't we Matt you mean the Ron Dennis inspired Honda reliability issues Possibly, yeah, possibly still a hangover from that. But since we're talking to you, who missed the apex for you? Ah, you know, this is the one that has a question mark next to it because I just couldn't make up my mind. But I'm just going to say Aston, period, end of. Mm. They had the most promised and the least results. And it looks like they are very, very, very far off relative to every other team except for Haas, which really isn't even bothering until, you know, Gene sells the team off to whoever he sells it off to. Yeah, I don't think it's Haas F1. I'm not even thinking about Haas F1, and I think we know who that someone is. Uh, none of you picked Vettel, so that's, that's easy. I thought I was... Aston. Yeah, but Vettel specifically, like, what else could have gone wrong in his weekend? And, and the thing is, okay, people have a bad qualifying. That's fine. It happens. People have a collision. That's fine. It happens. But... Once again, on the radio, he does that kind of blanket gaslighting denial. Like when uh, he drove into Lewis Hamilton and they got the penalty and they said, oh, you got penalty for dangerous driving. You know, when did I do dangerous driving? When you deliberately drove your Formula One car into another Formula One car because you were angry. That's when. And then he gets on the radio and there's the whole message for Charlie. And and today to go, he was wildly swerving around. Ocon, he's changed his line. And then on the replay, it clearly shows that Ocon is driving in a straighter line as you could possibly hope for. So that's when Vettel lost me. So he missed the apex uh, for me. We've got two more awards. Um, the first, the the first of which is. Daddy, I want a pony, and I want it now. 
also the Pony Award for me, I think, links into my Missed Apex Award, which is Sebastian Vettel for that. He's weaving around everywhere. No, no, you were, dude. Alex? Uh, Yuki Tsunoda in practice <laughs> yelling about traffic <laughs> and swearing profusely yeah. because there is traffic in front of him on a practice lap. But I think that might just be his his normal state. That might just be like zero level Sonoda, Brad. I think that's just where he operates. Oh, go on, Alex. Yeah. But my issue, my issue with it is, is he says it, everyone laughs and makes a joke out of it. But then I, my head always goes, what if Lewis yeah, Hamilton did I know, that? I know. And it's a case of he'd have been slammed and told to apologise from I think we can accept. I, I, I really like Yuki. I think he's super exciting, but that was really fun. There's always going to be different standards for someone who is a mega star like Lewis Hamilton that, than there is going to be for a midfield or rookie drivers. Brad? I just wanted to get my one in before Max took, uh, sorry, before Matt took it because I actually can't think of too many ponies this weekend. Yeah. The only other one I could think of was Verstappen after the race um, saying, why didn't you just let me go five seconds ahead, which yeah. I, I don't disagree with unless there's this other ruling, which you said uh, they wouldn't actually allow that anyway. But I thought that was quite good logic. He probably could have pulled five seconds on Lewis if he'd just driven off. Uh, fair enough. In that case, Matt, I think that just leaves us one award, doesn't it? Which is... Comment of the week. So why don't you go ahead and give us your nominations from the chat room for comment of the week. And let's say, uh, let's let Alex pick the winner. Did I not get a pony? Go ahead. Right, fine, 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 fine. I was just going to say Aston for complaining about the aero regulations. But to your point, oh my goodness. How many, how many picks do I get? Three. As always, it's always been three. You do 17. That's never been a thing. It's always been three. Okay, seven. Good. <laughs> okay. Right. I, I will start, even though I know uh, we will start with the cannot hear you. Jokes. Mike Stoner can't hear Kyle. More importantly, Remarkable 101 cannot hear you in the Netherlands. Oh, that's because before the live stream, I was talking about how when I was celebrating the Lewis Hamilton victory, I know that my next door neighbour, who we share a wall with, is a Dutch Max Verstappen fan. And I may have directed my celebrations slightly at the wall. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember. I was too busy celebrating. I told the live stream that story before the show and uh, a lot of Dutch listeners tuned out. Love you, Dutch people. Indeed. Michael Distelhoff is in for Carlos saw the signs on the wall at Toro Rosso. Nah, that's a pun. Nah, move on. No puns. Uh, Lydia Cruz is in for Laston Martin. Also After puns. their woeful showing today. <laughs> Funny, but a pun. Move on. Uh, Johnny B. Rotten. We think you can remember comment of the week, so we are going to leave you to it. I did remember. Did indeed. I've never forgotten. Maybe one Mr. time. Mr. Bongers in for Mazapen is doing a brilliant job at replacing Grosjean and being the first one to DNF, which, you know, not yeah. fair to Grosjean, but, you know. Well, uh, Alex, you won money on that, didn't you? Yeah, a pal of mine said, I'm going to put 20 quid on a, dr- on a car to be out first. Who? And I said, Hass. And he won 70 quid and he's sending me 20 quid of it. So lovely job. Thank enough. you, John. Brad? Just on that subject, Jacko Ligthelm said earlier on, Pirelli is guilty for sustainability uh, of a sustainability infringement. They should not have put tyres on Mazepin's Hass. No comment, Matt. Continue. Low Stealth is in with one I think you can relate to here, Spanners. Mm-hmm. My wife came in wanting to talk about landscaping with three laps to go. Fine, sure, whatever. Can I get back to you? I might be out five figures of money now. I really don't know. 
oh my goodness you need to train your family better like i will do anything for my family except for that two hours on a sunday and we have two more to go christopher fonseca in with schrodinger's track limits regarding turn four nice and finally maria antero with an all downhill for vettel after he lost to brad philpott oh did brad end sebastian vettel's career alex who's the winner of comment of the week Am I not allowed the last the last in Ma- last in Martin one? Am I not allowed a pun? Yeah, I totally allowed it. Because I thought that was brilliant. I thought that was brilliant. So yes, I'm going for that. Whoever whoever said last last in Martin, um, I really enjoyed that. Matt, who was That's it? That's my comment of the week. That would be Lydia Cruz. Congratulations with your comment, last in Martin. Comment of the Thank you for joining us for our race review here at Missed Apex Podcast. Uh, if you're finding us for the first time, we have a bunch of shows coming up, all different. We have different panelists that come and join us, as well as some specialist people like Stuart Mitchell from Race Car Engineering Magazine, uh, Summers F1 from Motorsport. Dot com. Uh, we're joined by a range of guests in F1 motorsport media, like Joe Sayward, who's been to every Grand Prix as a journalist since 1998. We have an ex-team boss in the form of Matthew Carter, who was the ex-Lotus CEO, who comes and joins us very regularly as well. So hopefully someone, something for everyone. Subscribe to us on YouTube, make a comment, click the like button, and on your podcatcher of choice, make sure you subscribe. In the show notes, you'll have a link to everything that we have mentioned here on the show today, and we would absolutely love it if you would post on your social media, whether you've got one follower or a billion followers, that you listen to Missed Apex podcast, and it was fine, and they should check it out. Uh, We will be back, I would say, on Sunday with the general news show, and we'll catch up with some of the topics that we weren't able to cover today. Please follow my panel on Twitter at Alex Van Jean, at Bradley Philpot, at MattPT55, and me at Spanners Ready, the show at Missed Apex F1. Wherever we catch you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Woo, just under that one hour time limit, Matt. Oh my just goodness. Just skated under it, thank goodness. <laughs> well, that is down to preparation. Poor prior planning and preparation leads to poor performance. That's the phrase. And because we prepared, we were able to adhere to strict time limits and then no one got in trouble with anyone and everything's fine. Becca's going to be really pleased that I was under an hour, just like I told her. Yes. Okay, good. And a lot. And the thing is... Okay, what, Brad, I'm blaming you for that. How many times have you been on this show? <laughs> she should know better by now. Lauren's exactly. already asleep. Yeah, well, the thing is, though, with Alex, have you set up in your kitchen today? I'm in the kitchen today. Okay, because normally, like, you take up your whole living room <laughs> and your poor wife is like, she's on the sofa, but in front of the sofa is just green screen. <laughs> she's just got to be there with a book or whatever. She didn't even hang around tonight. She went straight upstairs. I, I guarantee she did. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. 
flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 